listening to The Big Possible Show with your host, Noah Scott. It's time to break through the limits and achieve all you can imagine. All you can imagine. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Big Possible Show. This is Noah Scott signing on with another incredible guest. Our guest today, Tanya Vysetic, is the CEO and co-founder of Los Angeles-based software startup Blockforms. She is a data scientist by profession and has personally built technology ranging from algorithms that recommend which items can and can't be shipped together in a box to monitoring how well you are brushing your teeth with an electric toothbrush. Tanya's passion for optimization and making work more fun has led her to build Blockforms, a software that automates forms. Ooh, welcome to the show, Tanya. I definitely have to ask you for some tips on uh, on the electric toothbrush, but uh, let's just dive in. How yeah, are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So take a, take a minute and just uh, share with our listeners a little bit outside of that bio, just who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Uh, I'm from California. And as you said, based in Los Angeles, I'm a big world traveler. My family is from all over the world. And I, let's see, I went to school in LA, I went to school in Hong Kong, I used to work in finance, uh, now I'm a data scientist by profession, and I'm also running a business called Blockforms that automates forms. So what Blockforms does is takes all these complicated applications that ask the same questions over and over, consolidates them into one digital form, and then maps all that information back to the forms that you're filling out. So instead of filling out 10 forms, you can fill out one fully complete and execute 10. Incredible. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll have to kind of um, play around with it a little bit just so I can, you know, have have it's some more time. tools on my tool belt. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we like to talk about on the show, obviously, you didn't you didn't just wake up one day with with these skills and ability to just run out and build a software company. There's been a lot of twists and turns and, and adventures along the way. And I'd love to hear a story. Um, we, we'd, we'd like to start to show off with a story of a time that you were reaching for something big. And you know maybe it was outside of your comfort zone. Maybe it was something that you were stretching for. But what, okay. was, that, what was that story? And, and what did you have to go through in order to make that happen? Sure. I um, am going to share the story as to how I pivoted into data science because I was working in finance, particularly aviation finance, uh, evaluating the leases and purchases of commercial aircraft. And I'm pausing because this was actually not the story I intended on telling, but I think this one's very relevant to the listeners because um, we all wanna make changes in our career and we sometimes feel stuck. And what prompted me to make this big change was getting into a job where I felt like I couldn't do anything right. Every day I had a different project put in front of me and had a ton of different um, nuances and we were a small team and I didn't really feel like I had anyone to go to when I had a question or needed feedback. And I couldn't prove that I was learning anything. I couldn't um, demonstrate that the previous experience and project had enhanced my skill set to do better on the next one. So I felt like I was beating my head against the wall every single day on this small management consulting um, aircraft valuation team. And 
I decided that I was going to learn how to code. And I did so through a um, kind of a night school called General Assembly. They're pretty popular. They're all over the world. And it was an expensive program for me. And I paid for it out of pocket since it wasn't relevant to the job that I was doing on a daily basis. And at this time I was working, I'd say about 80 to 100 hours a week and still squeezing in this uh, night school because I needed to make a change. And it got to the point where I had, I just had to quit my job. I didn't have anything else lined up. And I come from a very middle-class background where quitting your job without having anything lined up is absolutely insane. And I had enough to live for about six months. Um, and I, I made the hard decision to quit and take that time to heal from that environment where I felt like I couldn't do anything successfully for a solid six months and explore a new profession, build up a portfolio of work, uh, network with other professionals in the field. And eventually I started getting some consulting work. And then I had another insecurity to work through. And that insecurity was that I didn't have a PhD in statistics. So all of the other data scientists I was uh, networking with, I shouldn't say all, that's extreme, but many of the data scientists that I was networking with and competing with, so to speak, for roles that were salaried uh, had PhDs. And eventually I found an organization that actually preferred that I didn't have a PhD and that rewarded my MBA experience and that rewarded my finance experience because it was a customer facing consulting role versus a very research based role. Getting over the, um, not having the traditional credentials and it's fine. We, 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 we totally like your little dog. Just let it, let it, let it live its life. It's all good. We're, we're good. So they're like, we're there. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So getting over limiting beliefs that I didn't have the credentials required to succeed in a role as a data scientist and rebuilding my confidence after being in a consulting role where I really wasn't set up to succeed uh, was a hugely challenging time in my life prior to embarking on my entrepreneurial journey. Wow. There's so much in there to, to unpack. And I, and I really am, am happy you shared this, this story in particular, because taking the leap is something that it, it's such a common theme. We, we all choose a job that we may or may not really be suited for because we don't know any better. We're, we're, we're 18, we're out of college or whatever, 20 something. And we're still growing. We're still exploring. We're still experimenting. And life is very dynamic. We'll pick up a lot of new traits, new skills, and the things, the old skin that we picked up early isn't something that maybe is going to hold us through all the way through the end. And it takes a lot of courage to let go of whatever's not right for us and facing that fear with that certain level of it, like the total unknown and just plowing forward. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah. yeah it's like, uh, like when you are updating your resume and everyone tells you to let go of your irrelevant experience and to just focus on what you want to do. It's really hard because we hold on to those jobs that, aren't what we want to do anymore. We want to show and we're proud that we did those things, but also it's, it's not serving the path forward. Those, you know, all of our experiences play into um, our 
professional life and our personal life, but um, we have to let that part of ourselves, um, I don't, die is an extreme word, but we have to let that yeah. part of ourselves die a little bit so we can keep growing and, and evolving. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally true. And there was a, another thing I'd, I'd like to touch on was, was this, this sort of uh, comparison challenge that you had to, to come, that you had to overcome. What are some of the lessons that you've learned since then about, you know, especially as a tech founder in LA, you know, female tech founder, there's so much competition, so many other people. What, how do you deal with um, either imposter syndrome? How do you deal with just the comparison stuff now? Like what, what have you learned since then? It still keeps happening every time I level up because it's new territory and I am following the lead of people who have been doing it for a long time. I, I use, instead of feeling like they're competitors, I treat them as allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's enough market in the world for all of us to get a piece of it, right? And even our competitors are, competitors are a little bit strange. I, there aren't many form automation software companies in Los Angeles, uh, but I do interact with a lot of entrepreneurs that are gunning for the same venture capital firms and uh, accelerator programs. I don't feel like they're competitors. I feel the really important thing about, especially being a CEO is a bit of a lonely role. And the more CEOs that I can meet, the better, because we, we can support each other through problem, um, obstacles, challenges that we all face. So that's my um, attitude towards other entrepreneurs in um, Los Angeles and the world at large. When it comes to my skill set, I um, my really untraditional path of studying economics in LA and then going all the way to Hong Kong to do my MBA and then being in finance. And I even dabbled in uh, aviation finance. I dabbled in, in entertainment finance for a brief moment there. It actually all has lent itself perfectly to my ability to do the role that I'm in now because I am fairly fluent in technical speak. I can talk to our developers, but I've also been customer facing. So when I'm interacting with our sales team, I can be that effective liaison between the two that have to collaborate successfully in order to build a product that the customers want and incorporate their feedback. In addition to just doing the accounting and having to deal with the lawyers and all the back office stuff that uh, involves the CEO's attention as well. Uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to actually, so we'll, I want to talk more about form building um, in form automation in a little bit, but that's, that's something that I think for a lot of the entrepreneurs listening, it, it's a never ending um, quest to really understand your customer, to understand how your product can better be positioned so that um, when someone sees it, it's a no brainer and they're like, oh, this is really exciting. I want to get this. What are some of the, the, the reason I'm asking this, we just, we just finished a retreat in Marrakesh and we had a, a speaker, Hilman Sori, was talking about how to align your product with the pain that your customers are feeling and how to really identify that so that they feel really good about jumping on board with you. What are some of the, what are some of the, the, the especially when it comes to data, right? Like, so you have a, a strong focus in there. How, do, how does an entrepreneur um, who's evaluating a new product or even maybe refining their product now, what are some ways that they can go about really 
polling their customers, making sure that they're, that uh, they're getting the right questions in front of them and that when they bring those questions back to their product, they're, they're putting it in action. Sure. That is the hardest part when you don't have any customers, right? So the answer number one is experience the problem and bottleneck that you're trying to solve for them a bazillion times, infinite amount of times, never stop experiencing it. And then start experiencing it with the tool that you built so you can make it even better. So you have to actually embody your customer. Uh, the second piece of advice I have is get an insider. If you are, for in our instance, for our uh, software, we're starting in the insurance brokerage industry, where my co-founder is an insurance broker himself. And since in different insurance brokerages run their businesses differently, when we're gunning for a particular insurance brokerage or general agency, we uh, actually have individuals from those organizations interact with our software for free, ask them for feedback, um, create a personal rapport, have them be a champion within the organization for our software. All of those steps are required, especially in the earliest stages. Amazing, amazing. Okay, and then now I'd, I'd like to I'd like to shift gears and talk about the the next leap of faith you made. Starting a tech okay. company. I mean, yes. that's that's just insane. Like, you know, anybody, everybody's got these ideas about building the next app and doing this stuff. But obviously you had to leave another job um, in order to, to do this. Walk us through that that leap of faith. Like how did how did you get the the wheels in motion? Um, what was it, what was it like at the beginning? And then like the fear up until getting revenue, like what how did that, that whole launch look like? Uh, okay. So starting off, I didn't just quit my job and start building block forms. I were doing them uh, in parallel. Again, my background, I'm trying to minimize the risk, but maximize the likelihood of success here. So I, I kept my job and then I started having project-based work again so I could still pay my bills and keep the lights on. But the amount of time I was allocating between the two was sliding in the direction of my startup. Uh, it's <laughs> there are so many emotions involved with being an entrepreneur, and a lot of that is you have to have a strong belief and conviction in your product in order to keep going. And for me, it was also imperative to have a team, especially during the pandemic when we didn't have customers yet. It would have been very easy for me if I were a solo entrepreneur to just go get a job and, and close doors. But because I had co-founders that were depending on me and I was depending on them, we kept pushing. So that was a big motivating factor to survive the doubt and the, what emotion am I grabbing for here? It's, it's, um, I, I know that our software is going to save people a lot of time and just make their work lives better. And we are the only people that I'm aware of doing such a thing on an industry agnostic basis. And this is my, I want to save the world somehow. I want to make work better and more fun for everyone. So I, with that combination of having an amazing team that relies on me and having such a strong conviction in the product. That's how I've survived all the cycles of doubt and the imposter syndrome. And the more I talk about it, the more feedback I get. And 
my co-founder was actually saying this to me, I want to say about six months ago, he's like, I'm still waiting for someone to tell me this is a bad idea. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that no one has, you know, but we, we all have those emotions of what am I doing? This is such a big risk. And we, we live in this culture today where when mega entrepreneurs are highly scrutinized, but mm-hmm. you now I have so much respect for the amount of effort and um, sacrifice that it took for them to become behemoths. Um, no, no one just sat there and um, built a business and got lucky and exploded. Not, not today. I, it's not how it works. It takes a lot of time, blood, sweat, tears, um, getting things wrong. You have to be comfortable with getting things wrong and moving on from getting wrong. A lot of entrepreneurs uh, can't let go like we were talking about with our old jobs, can't let go of the decisions that they made that didn't work. And that can be a reason why a business shuts their doors. So that is a long-winded answer to your question there. <laughs> no, we love the long-winded. It's beautiful. And it's, you know, it's really powerful that that statement about having something that's so important and, it, and it, it's your cause to save the world to a certain degree. When we can latch on to something that is bigger than just ourselves, it makes it yes. so much easier to find that extra reserve in your gas tank to push a little harder. And the other thing that was so powerful is this idea that great things aren't built in silos. It's imperative to find a community or find a, a you know, your team that, that can keep you accountable, keep you motivated when things get hard. And I think that's really powerful that you brought that up. As we're, as we're working towards, um, we, you know, just running out of, of uh, the, full, the full time to record here, I, I would love to just keep you on forever. This is so fun. A um, couple things I want to talk about. One, since you're a traveler, I'd lo- you know, I, I live on the road. I'm a full-time nomad. I'd like to just hear your favorite, uh, favorite destinations. Like where, it's, where are some of the cool places you've traveled and, uh, and maybe, yeah. a, maybe a fun travel story around that place? So this question is really hard for me because I'm always, what do you mean the most beautiful, the best food, um, impactful and impactful. (laughs) So I, um, attach a lot of meaning to how I felt where, when I was there and I've been, you know, I had mentioned a couple of times now that I lived in Asia, um, my family's from Europe, Europe and Latin America, um, my favorite place where I felt the most inspired and magical was actually Vienna. I love that city. It really gets me <laughs> and I get it. I could have a tiny apartment and stare out the window and feel inspired all day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's something magical about, about Europe. I haven't been to Vienna yet, so it's on my list. Thanks for the, the wreck there. Yeah. Okay. It's, well, it's, it, depending on the time of the year, it can be a little bit gray, but I also love the romanticism of a gray European city. <laughs> yeah, it's how Krakow <laughs> is right now. It's a little gray. Um, but okay, so what are some of the things that, you know, if, looking back, what are some of the things that are practical tips that you can share with our listeners to just um, stay in the grind and keep going uh, when, they, when they latch on to their big idea to either unlock their personal greatness, just maintain happiness, or tap into that courage that they've been um, putting on the shelf for forever. Absolutely. So um, some untraditional advice. I 
think that you should talk about what you're doing. When you put it out there, you'll get feedback. Uh, some people are a little bit afraid to communicate their ideas because they're worried about their ideas being stolen, but it's your, and it's not unwarranted to feel that way, but it's your idea. Only you are going to do it the way you are going to do it. So put it out there. It, there's something about talking about it, writing it down that holds you accountable to the idea. Um, another thing is to have a mentor in a community. So try and find a group of other entrepreneurs. Uh, th these platforms like Clubhouse and meetups, they work. You, you never know who you're going to meet, right? And it's hard to put yourself out there, but put yourself out there. And once you start doing so, it, it starts to feel less foreign. So um, similar to traveling, if you're not a big traveler, but you want to be, just start. And it starts to feel like second nature, right? So put yourself out there. Um, also, once you're in the middle of the grind, allow yourself to pause. Make sure you go for a walk, journal. Um, sometimes in the middle of the day, if you just want to read a book, read a book for an hour. We're really deep in this hustle culture right now. Give yourself a break when you're not thinking about something for an hour and then you come back to it, you might have a new perspective that is a clear, obvious direction to go. So mm. those are my quick tidbits. Yes, you definitely speak my language there. This is this is the big focus behind you know pretty much everything I do. It's about giving people that perspective, recharge, and, and, and a community. So I, I, I'm i preaching to the choir here. I love it. Great. Yeah, so, like <laughs> yeah. That's where the creativity comes. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, how do, how do our listeners stay in touch with you? Tell us about block forms and how they can sign up all of that good stuff. Yeah. So to get in touch with me directly, my LinkedIn is my first and last name. It's a unique name. So you'll find me right away, Tanya Vusetic. And if you're interested in following what I'm up to on Instagram, I uh, share much of the entrepreneurial journey and I'm pretty candid about it. So my Instagram handle is Tanya V-U-K. So T-A-N-Y-A-V-U-K. And to learn more about Blockforms, our website is blockforms.c. CEO, and we also have an equity crowdfunding campaign going right now. So I'm really passionate about lowering the barriers to entry to investing. So that's why I'm doing it, doing it this way. And so if you're interested in learning about where our company's at, our existing customers, what our plans are, or even investing, uh, the minimum investment is hundred bucks. And we're on a platform called Micro Ventures. Oh, I love that. I love that. Incredible. Tanya, thank you so much for sharing your time, your story. What an incredible, incredible um, journey you've been on. And I think the other listeners are going to love just, you know, a lot of the tips and, and definitely go check out Block Forms and get those investments going. So thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you, Noah. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of The Big Possible Show. This is Noah Scott signing out to let you know I appreciate you for being here. Of course, if you enjoyed the episode and want to share some feedback, visit Apple and drop a review. That review will help other people find the show, and it also gives me a signal that, hey, people are out there listening. And with that, may the rest of your day be filled with epic adventures. And I'll see you right here for the next episode.